With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Goodbye, University. It's a little bit before the top of the hour, but it's not too soon to say hello to everyone who's joined for our LOA book club call today. Thanks for being here, Nancy. Hey there, Jeanette and everybody on the call. Great to be here. I always love these discussions. Um, Cindy's also here today. Hey, Cindy. Hey. Ooh. I love this call. You're going to love, yeah, I, you're, you, I know you read one of our books today, so it would be great to hear from you on this. And um, Nancy said that's Ming, who's also dialed in. Yeah, hi, everybody. How are you? Good. Who is North Carolina? That's Stephanie. I'm here. Hi, everyone. Yay. Did you say Tiffany? Is it Stephanie or Tiffany? Stephanie. Stephanie, right on. Thanks for being for our, here for our call today. So I have um, I've read a couple of books, and I made a couple of notes to share with you guys today. Uh, I'm talking Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and my other one is Advanced, Advanced Law of Attraction Techniques by – I can't read it from here. Elvis is on my lap. <laughs> I don't want to get up until I have to. Um, but I will, I'll talk about that book later. I want to start off with Big Magic. What, what have you guys read? Just for those who are listening to the recording so they know what we'll be talking about. Have, has anyone else brought a book to the party that they're going to share thoughts about? Okay, oh, that sounds like... This, oh, we'll this have, is Stephanie. Um, yes? I actually just read The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. I Ooh. think he came out with the 10th anniversary edition last year in 2015. Um, I actually hadn't planned on sharing anything, but it does have the law of attraction in it, so I'd be happy yeah. to do that later if you'd like. Boy, that would be great to hear some of your favorite parts from that. That book has just got a ton of stuff in it. It's uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's still got a spot up on my shelf. It's on the big book shelf. <laughs> it, it is quite a book, yes. Yeah. It's quite a book. Um, all right, so let's start with Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. Elizabeth Gilbert, you guys will know her as the author who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And um, well, that's probably how everyone knows her best. I was I was resisting this book a little bit just because everyone was raving about it. And I'm a little bit of a contrarian. <laughs> like, I, it, wherever everyone else is, I want to go somewhere else. <laughs> so I just wasn't reading it because everyone else was. But um, I just had enough clients who kept insisting that I check it out. A couple of you were threatening to send me a copy. <laughs> so I finally got my own. <laughs> oh, my word, I get what the fuss is about. This book was amazing. I absolutely love and adore it. I should learn to go where the crowd is more often because this was time well spent. So who else here has, is familiar with Big Magic? I am. <laughs> I love that book. Has anyone else it. read it, or is it just me and Cindy? Oh, well then, girlfriend. Cindy, 
just your overall thoughts. Tell me what it is that made you such a raving fan of this mm-hmm. book. Well, and I don't want to give the book away, but um, I, I have had an idea my whole life that when things were ready to be created, they were going to be created. Um, they would find a way to come into reality, whether it was me that created it or someone else. And I've had a lot of experience over the years where I had an idea and I didn't follow through on it, or maybe I didn't even want to follow through on it. I just had an idea, and then I saw it happen. And so a big part of the book um, for me was the story that she told of having an idea for a book and and um, starting to work on it and then kind of letting it go because she wasn't really feeling it and then meeting someone who actually had written the book. Um, and I was like, yes, yes, because I've always felt like that. Like, you know, when we get an idea or we get an inspiration, um, and it's not to say, you know, we must act on it, but if, if it doesn't come to pass, if we don't take action, then it will be born. It'll just be born through someone else. So I thought that was really, really great to read that. I loved that too. And what I loved was how many quotes she had from other artists who believed the same thing, which I think is easy for conscious creators to get behind because we know thoughts are things. But the way she talked about it was even beyond that. It wasn't just the thoughts that you think are things. It's that these ideas that want to be living things in the world, they will find the best person to bring them to life. And right, it reminds me it reminds me of what um in the book um The Science of Getting Rich, um Wallace Waddles talks about the thinking stuff. Are you familiar the what with that? Stuff? The thinking mean? stuff. The thinking stuff. No Yeah, I the thinking substance. Yeah. The intelligence of the universe. And that in other words, it's just like what you're saying, that your thoughts actually once they go forth from you, they sort of have a life of their own and you know, they're they're thinking stuff, a thinking substance that's going to produce whatever whatever it is. And it reminded me of that. I I just thought it was – plus, she just has such a great writing style. I mean, I love oh, the way she Oh, she's just writes. a joy to read, absolute yeah. joy to read. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I did. That was one of my favorite ideas from her book. What What the outstanding thing for me, though, was I love how much she reveres and respects creativity in general. Like, and not just writers or artists or musicians, but she's she gave the example of her friend who ice skates. Like, that's a form of creativity. And she's really inviting the reader to consider it from a big perspective. So this isn't just written for those who might consider themselves a quote-unquote creative, which I don't until I read this and then I realized, well, hello, Everything we do is creation, right? Everything that we engage is. Um, I I also liked the uh, the way she talked about how those things that those inspirations that we get. You know when Abraham says, "What's what does Abraham say about moving fast on them?" Do you guys remember that? Like, don't wait when you get an inspiration or an impulse. Don't wait. Do it now if you can. Because inspiration, oh, universe loves speed. That's what it says, universe loves speed. Mm -hmm. I was thinking it's because those ideas are so committed to being born that um, if you aren't going to do it, they'll go to someone else who will. (laughs) 
Not not that we should ever be fearful, like, oh, if I don't do it, I will lose this idea. But uh, I, 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 I did like that quite a bit. There's another, wanted, piece, there's another piece to that, though, you know. Like, I could get an idea, and you could get the same exact idea, Jeanette. But when I get the idea, it might be like, eh, yeah, whatever. But when you get the idea, it's like inspired. You just feel inspired, and you can't yeah. stop yourself from acting because it's just, it's, it feels it's so big. right. You know, and I had that experience, Nancy. I had an idea that I liked. It, was, it felt I liked it enough to start lining it up. But I didn't like it enough to see it through before I saw someone being interviewed on Jay Leno who had just done it. And it was, um, I, I, he, he named his something different. I called it Pro Bow, where you could hire, you could hire someone to be like a, so you could get in the vibration of having a, a, a boyfriend, a love interest, someone who, Cindy, this is actually kind of related to what you and I are working on. But, um, you could actually hire someone who would, just give you the things that you don't get when you're a single person. Or even if you are a person who's in a relationship, but you don't have a person who doesn't necessarily treat you super nice or sweet, and you just want those little lifts. Anyway, there was a guy. I, I, I flirted with it, kind of lined it up, sort of got a couple people in on the project, didn't, didn't give it my utmost attention. And a couple months later, there was a guy on Jay Leno talking all about it. I can't remember what he called it. But he was doing really well with it. <laughs> And so, and the takeaway there is that you liked the idea, but really it wasn't resonating. It didn't keep me up at night, no. Right. And and the point is, is don't lose sleep over the ideas that didn't light you up, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Life is too amazing to do anything other than play with the things that do fully light us up, that do keep us up at night. Exactly. That do make us want to jump out of bed and go play with them. And Jeanette, did you read... I think it was this book. Um, isn't there a story that she tells about a woman that she met that was like, I don't know, 80 or 90 years old? You know what I'm talking about? Mm, keep going. That had become interested in something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That just she like came like that an was so authority. Exciting. It was on something, something so eccentric, right? It just seemed kind of. Right, it was so, like this woman that she met that was, I don't know, 93 or something, and at the age of, you know, 80, she had um, become interested, and now I can't remember in what, but she had become interested in something, so she started, you know, reading everything she could about it and this and that, and, you know, 10 years later, she was considered an expert on it, and people would seek her out for her knowledge about it, and, you know, it was just kind of talking about, yeah, 10 years, you know, that's like a PhD, <laughs> and... And it was really great because, I don't know, I love stories like that, that, you know, it's never too late to start a new path, to go in a different direction, to learn something new, and to become an expert um, on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there so, was an art, There was an artist that became very famous, and she didn't even start her art until she was in her 70s. And she started it with found objects. So she'd find things on the street. She'd find throwaway stuff, junk, and you know, pieces of, you know, metal that fell off of machines and whatever, and she put it all together and turned it into an amazing piece of artwork. And, again, she had uh, a massively successful career after the age of 70. So, again, there's examples everywhere you look of people who, you know, they just mm-hmm. followed what, what lit them up, 
Well, Grandma Moses began her painting career when she was 78, and she painted 1,500 paintings before she died. Yes, and that's another one. That's another one. So that's there's just one. there's just so many. Yeah. So the main subjects that Liz is sharing in this book on creativity, she's got six of them: uh, courage, enchantment, permission, persistence, trust, and divinity. And um, I loved every chapter. And some of what she shares isn't always super LOA friendly, but um, it didn't stop me from enjoying this book thoroughly. There's in the chapter on enchantment, uh, oh, yeah, she quotes, this is where she's talking about how uh, ideas want to be born to life, and, and she's talking about how her idea became Anne's book because she didn't do anything with it. Right. And she was she was talking about how, as she realized Anne wrote her story, she said, it left me with nothing but a dazzled heart and the sense and the sense that I live in the most remarkable world, thick with mysteries. It all called to mind the British physicist Sir Arthur Eddington's memorable explanation of how the universe works. I love this quote. Something unknown is doing we don't know what. <laughs> Liz writes, but the best part is I don't need to know what. Uh, I really, I really like that. Just magic. I mean, that just feels like magic. Then in the chapter on permission, um, oh, this was cool. Okay, so she was talking about how I would like to see you engaged in a more generative and interesting conversation with yourself than basically when your gremlins are telling you to stop all this because you don't know what you're doing. Uh, she says, for heaven's sake, at least defend yourself. <laughs> Defending yourself as a creative person begins by defining yourself. It begins when you declare your intent. Stand up tall and say it aloud, whatever it is. I'm a writer. I'm a singer. I'm an actor. I'm a gardener. I'm a dancer. I'm an inventor. I'm a photographer. I'm a chef. I'm a designer. I am this. I am that. And I'm also this other thing, too. I don't yet know exactly what I am, but I'm curious enough to go find out. I love that part. And she says, speak it. Let it know you're there. Hell, let you know you're there. Because this statement of intent is just as much an announcement to yourself as it is an announcement to the universe or anybody else. Hearing this announcement, your soul will mobilize accordingly. <laughs> it will mobilize ecstatically, in fact, because this is what your soul was born for. In parentheses, she says, trust me, your soul has been waiting for you to wake up to your own existence for years. I like that, and it Love fits it. really nicely with the power of I am statements. Yeah. I have an example of that. When I first started my design business, I was doing solely um, presentation design um, uh, persuasion and PowerPoint presentations. And I named myself a presentation designer. And that term had never been used before. Oh, and I wow. put it on my business card. And people said, presentation designer, what is that? And so then I'd have to explain it to them. Um, and now you go on job sites, and uh, they're looking for that job title. I love how ahead of the curve you are, Nancy. And I love how you didn't need someone else to approve of a title before you picked it for yourself. Well, I kept thinking, okay, well, I'm not just a graphic designer because most graphic designers don't want to touch a presentation with a 10-foot pole. So, you know, how am I going to separate myself? And at the time, digital illustrators were just starting to become known. And I definitely fit in that category but I didn't want people to, I wanted people to understand really what I did, and that's where the, that's how the term was born. But 
I'm, I'm just telling you, you say it, you declare it, you walk around, you pass out your business card, you tell people who you are, they ask you questions, you keep talking about it, and someday people are looking for that that job title. <laughs> yeah, that that's very, very, very cool. Kind of reminds me a little bit how when I had a law of attraction mentor coach tell me, whatever you do, don't call yourself a law of attraction coach because no one will know what that is before the secret. <laughs> And um, I did anyway, because that's all I had passion for. And that's what I was. I was like, because she was like, oh, I think, you know, you saw abundance coaches and spiritual coaches and stuff like that. No one was saying law of attraction coach, but I did. And then um, and then after the secret, <laughs> when people were searching for law of attraction coaches, that turned out to be a pretty good decision <laughs> on my part. I love that. I, oh, and also in permission, she has this great, oh, I just love this about dealing with rejection because she's a writer and she's pitching her writing projects left and right and um, rejection letters. That gets a lot of people down. But she said, I took the long view. My intention was to spend my entire life in communion with writing, period. Um, That being the case, editors could reject me all they wanted. I wasn't going anywhere. Whenever I got those rejection letters then, I would permit my ego to say aloud to whoever had signed it, you think you can scare me off? I've got another 80 years to wear you down. There are people who haven't even been born yet who are going to reject me someday. That's how long I plan to stick around. Her commitment. I love that. I just love how she just totally surpasses. It's just it, rejection can't touch her. She says, then I would put the letter away and get back to work. I decided to play the game of rejection letters as if it were a great cosmic tennis match. Somebody would send me a rejection, and I would knock it right back over the net, sending out another query that same afternoon. <laughs> My policy was, you hit it to me, I'm going to hit it straight back out into the universe. Oh, I just really like that. Because I know a lot of people do. Oh, in fact, she's, there's another part in here, too. I think that's in a later chapter. Another part I liked in the section on permission. She says, um, uh, she's talking about people who complain and self-pity, how that slams the door on inspiration. She said, I took this path as a young person. I started telling myself that I enjoyed my work. I proclaimed that I enjoyed every single aspect of my creative endeavors, the agony and the ecstasy, the success and the failure, the joy and the embarrassment, the dry spells and the grind and the stumble and the confusion and the stupidity of it all. I even dared to say this aloud. I told the universe and anyone who would listen that I was committed to living a creative life not in order to save the world or as an act of protest or to become famous. She lists a bunch of other reasons. Not as a form of deep therapeutic emotional catharsis, but simply because I liked it. (laughs) So try saying this. I enjoy my creativity, and when you say it, be sure to actually mean it. I, you know, as you speak, so shall it be. She does not support the whole tormented artist uh uh, persona. She is not down with that. She's like, if if it's not fun, we should not be doing it. Um, and then when people have different opinions about, they, you know, if they don't like what you're doing, she said, it doesn't matter in the least. Let people have their opinions. More than that, let people be in love with their opinions, just as you and I are in love with ours. But never delude yourself into believing that you require someone else's blessing or even their comprehension in order to make your own creative work. She shared, She closes with a quote from W.C. Fields. It ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. <laughs> and then she says, actually, don't even bother answering. Just keep doing your thing. 
Love that. Her section on uh, persistence, she, oh, I love this. So she had a bunch of writer friends who were trying to figure out how to make money writing so they could do what they loved. She says, instead, I simply vowed to the universe that I would write forever regardless of the result. I promised that I would try to be brave about it and grateful and as uncomplaining as I could possibly be. I also promised that I would never ask writing to take care of me financially, but that I would always take care of it, meaning that I would always support us both by any means necessary. <laughs> I did not ask for any external rewards for my devotion. I just wanted to spend my life as near to writing as possible, forever close to that source of all my curiosity and contentment, and so I was willing to make whatever arrangements needed to be made in order to get by. And she talks about how she had one job or two jobs for quite a while. I mean, even after she had published a couple books, it was it was a while before she gave up those other sources of income. Uh, also in this chapter on persistence, I love this quote. Oh, she's talking about how perfection will mess you up. She says, you must learn how to become a deeply disciplined half-ass. <laughs> really like that and uh, she's quoting Rebecca Solnit uh, so many of us believe in perfection which ruins everything else because the perfect is not only the enemy of the of the good it's also the enemy of the realistic the possible and the fun I sometimes get hung up there so I enjoyed that quote let's see in I've got one more page marked in this chapter Oh, yeah, she's talking. I, I'm not in necessary agreement with what she says, uh, that there's three. Conventional success depends on three factors, talent, luck, and discipline. She says that she knew two of those things were not under her control, so she played the only card she could, which was discipline. And she said, that was the only card I had to play, so I played it hard. And then she, ooh, did you hear my deep breath? Mind you, hard work guarantees nothing in realms of creativity. Nothing guarantees anything in realms of creativity, she writes. But I cannot help but think that devotional discipline is the best approach. This is the, this is the sentence I like. Do what you love to do and do it with both seriousness and lightness. I loved the combination of those. It seems kind of paradoxical. But I loved that advice. Do it with both seriousness and lightness. Um, in her chapter on trust, oh, she's quoting a, oh, this girl teaches, what does she teach? Dr. Robin Kimmerer is a botanist and an author who teaches environmental biology. So on her first day of class, she asks students, do you love nature? And almost, you know, every hand in the room goes up. The second question she asks is, do you believe that nature loves you? <laughs> Every hand in the room goes down. And then Robin says, uh, we have a problem already. Meaning she thinks that it's it's not enough for you to love it. You have to believe that it loves you too. And And Liz is saying the same thing about our own creativity, our own art, whatever that is. So, uh, yeah. She's talking about how what botanists, a lot of these people, they love the earth, but they think that it doesn't love us because we are ruining it, you know, like it's not a cool thing. So she, she, before she can teach these students how to heal the world, she has to teach them how to heal their notion of themselves in the world. She has to convince them of their right to even be here at all. 
and this speaks back to what she shared earlier about um, claiming it, feel like you belong there. But um, I don't know, I kind of thought, I like the interpreting that, that not only do our ideas or our inspirations have a life of their own, their own intentions and their own desires to exist, but they, I like the idea that our work loves us as much as we love it. That feels like there's, it's got some really potentially good vibes in that perspective. Um, there, there she's, she also talks about how so many people believe that suffering and darkness is required in order to create meaningful, deep art. She disagrees. And I highlighted the quote where she says, I can either live a drama or I can invent a drama, but I do not have the capacity to do both at the same time. So she's a fan of minimizing um, anything that's unhealthy, anything that gets in the way of her best work. Unlike, you know, there are many authors who are, you know, raging alcoholics and tortured musicians, and she's, she's not down with that. Oh, so here in the chapter on trust, Cindy, can't wait to hear your thoughts on this, where she's talking about passion versus curiosity. She, she starts it with, may I also urge you to forget about passion. Perhaps you were surprised to hear this from me, but I am somewhat against passion, or at least I'm against the preaching of passion. I don't believe in telling people, all you need to do is follow your passion and everything will be fine. I think this can be an unhelpful and even cruel suggestion at times. She explains why, but then she goes on to say what she does, what she does preach is curiosity because it doesn't ask nearly so much of you. She said, in fact, curiosity only ever asks one simple question. Is there anything you're interested in? Anything, even a tiny bit, no matter how mundane or small? The answer need not set your life on fire or make you quit your job or force you to change your religion or send you into a fugue state. It just has to capture your attention for a moment. But in that moment, if you can pause and identify even one tiny speck of interest in something, then curiosity will ask you to turn your head a quarter of an inch and look at the thing a wee bit closer. Do it. It's a clue. And then she tells a really cool story about how she didn't have any cool – here she is ready for a new writing project with no inspiration. So she just got curious, and what, what, got, what she was curious about was gardening, and that led to her next book. Cindy, what do you, ta- what do you think on her take on passion? Um, I actually really like it. <laughs> um, and by the way, that book is fantastic. Um, oh, you read it? I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like it so much because so many times um, the whole passion thing, it was really getting to me that that seemed to be um, everyone's catchphrase for, you know, the answer to everything was follow your passion, find your passion, follow your passion. And, you know, I, passion is a really, really high level of consciousness, and we don't feel it all the time. Mm-hmm. And but curiosity is almost something that we can just decide to tap into at will um, and get curious. And curiosity is there can't be judgment and curiosity at the same time. Mm. So even the sound that like the sound that Yoda makes, you know, like mm? <laughs> if you make that sound, the part of your brain that gets activated is a part of your brain that can't be activated at the same time that judgment is. <laughs> or even worry. Um, so I, I, I'm a big, big fan of intentionally tapping into curiosity, and I love that part of the story with her, that she, 
you know, because the book is fiction um, that she's speaking of, and it's it has to do with sort of the history of botany, and I mean, it's it's really fantastic. But you know, she got there just by being curious about planting a garden in her own backyard. Mm-hmm. So I, I like it. How, what did you, you know, think about it? Well, I I look passion. If you could plug into passion, go there all freaking day. When I have clients who are not clear about what their passion is, I ask them to go on a treasure hunt. And I don't use the word curious. I use the word interesting. Just pay attention to what captures your attention or gets your interest. And, and just, you know, maybe make a list of those things and follow the threads wherever they go. Because, yes, if someone who's far, far away from that vibration, it might feel really unhelpful to hear the advice, just follow your passion when they have no clue what that is. And I like this as a path to help reveal that. Um, but the way she introduced it as, you know, like passion is, you know, uh, I, I'm not on that page anymore, but I thought, passion, any day we can go there, absolutely go there. And if, yes, we are not getting a whiff at all, curiosity can be a good way to help us get plugged in eventually. What I love, though, is how in her, when she shares her story, she doesn't, she didn't do that routine of that some creatives sometimes do when they talk about how the muse has left <laughs> and they just throw their hands up in the air. They don't know what to do because there's no inspiration in sight. Liz wasn't doing that routine at all. She just answered the call to go play in the dirt for a while. Yeah, um, I like that too. It was just, it was fun. It was light. It wasn't tortured. It wasn't important. What well, also goes along it fits right in line with something that you wrote a blog post about it recently, and that's inspired action. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she wasn't sitting at the at the typewriter or the keyboard trying to drum up something to write about. She just went and decided, okay, I'm just going to go do something that I'm interested in. It had nothing to do with her work as a writer. You know, you know what's interesting to me, Cindy? How many writers practice the thing where? Every day, you're butt in the chair for, you know, I don't know how much time. Some of them will say 30 minutes. Some of them will say three hours. But they're like, whether you feel like it or not, butt in the chair and you're doing the work of writing. Okay, that feels to me. And and I know I know writers who do create good work with that approach. But I like being able, I like Liz's example. When she didn't have anything she felt like writing about, she answered the call to go to the garden. <laughs> Just love that. I love, love, love that. She did a talk um, for Super Soul TV. Uh, there, a while back, there was a whole series of people giving talks for about 15, 20 minutes. And, and Elizabeth Gilbert's talk was really inspiring. She started out by apologizing to everybody who had felt judged because they couldn't find their passion. And she admitted that she was one of those people who judged, who, who so clearly had a passion that was so obvious to her that she assumed everybody else had one too. Mm-hmm. And that if somebody didn't have a passion, they just weren't trying hard enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And then she, you know, uh, basically ended up saying what you're talking about here in this chapter, that, you know, if if you are not getting the passion or don't have it already flowing, just open yourself up to curiosity and see where it takes you. But, you know, as an artist, I've seen I've seen the benefits of butt in the chair, and I've seen mm-hmm. the benefits of mm-hmm. just get started. Just get started. 
just mm-hmm. get started, see what happens, and and the thing kind of takes on a life of its own, and before you know it, you're you're on your way. But I've also seen situations where um, being lived, you've got your own stories to tell about yeah. how taking a break is exactly what the project needed. And I remembered saying to um, to one of my artist friends, I said, "This is the weirdest thing." I sat down to paint. And before I could even get started, I was drawn to the kitchen. So I went into my kitchen, and the next thing you know, I was baking a cake in the kitchen. Oh, guys. And all my artist friends, like, came out of the woodwork and said, oh, yeah, that's, like, my secret. Like, when I'm having a writer's block or artist block or, you know, whatever, I go bake something. And there's something about that that stirs up the creative juices, and the next thing you know, I'm I'm in the studio doing work. I can see how baking would be a a thing hey this is unrelated you guys but it was kind of cool someone wrote me um near brussels and she was she said i think you're gonna like this scrolling up oh yeah many of my friends work in the areas served by that metro line i'm gonna try and tell the story without crying i'm not doing very well already i had several accounts of curiously avoiding being on that particular metro train. I thought you might want to know how people have been guided out of danger without even knowing. Um, for example, one girl was just getting out of the apartment when the neighbor next door bumped into her and asked her to help her put her eye drops in. <laughs> she could not read the notice. Another went to the kindergarten and left her little girl there, and the little one did not want her to leave, which was quite unusual, so she spent some time comforting her and another mom offered her a lift by car instead of taking the metro. A friend of mine felt compelled yesterday to go and buy food. She never cooks. She struggled, as she said to herself. She did not need to go to the store in the middle of the week, but she found herself in front of the supermarket. So she bought some food, and today everything was closed around her house. She lives near the North Station, which was evacuated, and so many, many stories. Another friend takes usually takes this train, but today he had to go earlier as he was taking an exam. Just a, a bunch of stories from people for one reason or another weren't in the area. I I it I said it was unrelated, but it feels a little bit like that same thing, just answering where guidance calls us, right? When we go there, that's us on our on our path to everything that we want. And, and you know, even a, a person could argue that even saying, well, answer your curiosity is unhelpful if someone is depressed, you know, because when you're depressed, you're not curious about too freaking much, you know, but... I get her point, that sometimes passion is too much for people to shoot for. I get it. Um, ooh, there was a really, in this chapter, I love her, her talk about um, oh, failure. Whatever you do, try not to dwell too long on your failures, even though she talks earlier about how she, she kind of looks at hers with interest, not judgment, not heavy. But but anyway, she's here. Don't dwell too long on your failures. You don't need to conduct autopsies on your disasters. You don't need to know what anything means. She says, own your disappointment, acknowledge it for what it is, and move on. Here's what I loved. Chop up that failure and use it for bait to try to catch another project. (laughs) I love that. Use that failure. Okay, but probably my favorite theme in this entire book is captured in this last page that I have dog-eared. And... um, Oh, I'll just, uh, it's just one half a page. Let me read it to you. Uh, As I have said, 
and as we all know deep in our hearts, there is no guarantee of success in creative realms. Not for you, not for me, not for anyone. Well, I think that depends on how you define success, but that's what she's going to go on to say. Will you put forth your work anyhow? I recently spoke to a woman who said, I'm almost ready to start writing my book, but I'm having trouble trusting that the universe will grant me the outcome I want. Well, what could I tell her? I hate to be a buzzkill, but the universe might not grant her the outcome she wants. Without a doubt, the universe will grant her some kind of outcome. Spiritually minded people would even argue that the universe will probably grant her the outcome she needs, but it might not grant her the outcome she wants. Fierce trust, this is what she's talking about. Fierce trust demands that you put forth the work anyhow, because fierce trust knows that the outcome does not matter. The outcome cannot matter. I so love that. If we're not doing it for the joy we feel in doing it in and of itself, I don't know why we're doing it at all. Shouldn't we go do the thing that is its own reward? And that's what writing is for Liz Gilbert. Writing, and she she shared that so thoroughly and genuinely in this book that she just loves writing, whether she's rewarded, I'm putting that in air quotes, in the traditional terms as far as money and accolades and all that, or not, she just loves writing. I love that reminder to engage what we love just for the love of it, not in order to make money doing it, not to get famous doing it, not to feel worthy or whatever, just simply for the love of it. That feels like such clean energy to bring to the party. That was probably my overall favorite thing that she wrote about in the book. Anyone else got any Cindy, you got anything you want to add from on from Big Magic? Um, I like the part where she talked about fear and the I, I don't know if anybody saw this, um, but she talked about she wouldn't let fear sit in the driver's seat. Oh, that was really good. And she recognized <laughs> that fear was gonna be there and it, that fear could have a seat in the car but it was not gonna drive. And I thought that was so great. And the other day somebody posted, or she posted on Facebook, that a teacher, I think it was like a fifth-grade art teacher, had told that story to her class. And her class said, um, we need a chair for fear to sit in. So they painted a chair, and they painted on it, fear sits here. And then she had them all write on the chair things that made them fearful. And they wrote things like football, <laughs> tests, like all kind of things on the chair. And she said now when – the reason why she told them the story is because even in fifth grade, she could see them kind of shutting down in their art class just creatively because they were judging wow. their work. And I used to teach intuitive painting workshop. And the first thing we would do in the class was ask people – we would have a circle and we would ask people to share their first art memory. And like 80% of the memories were probably – before six years old and and bad, you know, like I saw one of them said they were they were just in the corner just coloring away, and that the teacher came up and broke all the crayons because they were coloring outside the lines. Or I mean, I've heard like so many stories like that. So I understood what she was saying that even as fifth graders they were kind of shutting down, and I just thought that was such an amazing you know outcome and wonderful thing to see is that. You know, her book was touching this fifth grade class. <laughs> Not her likely readers, right? right? But it's like, wow. I thought that that was really cool. Fear, I know fear is going to show up, but it's not going to sit in the driver's seat. It, and it, Yeah, it's not going to shut down the party. Yeah, love that. Love that. 
So now no one needs to buy the book since we've pretty much covered the entire thing. You Just still kidding. People <laughs> still should read it. Oh my gosh, my favorite yeah. part were it's the so stories. Yeah. All of those stories. Her writing is amazing. Yeah. But um, the actually, stories that she told and the quotes. Listening to all this makes me want to buy the books. Good. <laughs> because, because it's not just the one or two tips. It's the experience of having, the visceral experience of having that reminder when you're reading a book. And knowing that it's on your bookshelf and you can pull it down when you, when you want that reminder. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm going to take like three minutes on advanced law of attraction techniques so that we can go to Stephanie next for success principles, because we are going to want to end on a good note, and this one isn't it. Eddie Coronado is our author. It's not that I dislike this book. I just dislike the title of his book, Advanced Law of Attraction Techniques. Here they are, you guys. Number one, intention statement. The second one is how to use a vision board. The third one is emotional visualization and then he shares the fourth one is how to use mirror work and the fifth one is how to use a belief statement and the rest of it is stories of people who have manifested things um i bought it because of the title it seems like a book i should own i think you should it's a fine book for beginners it, it could use some reformatting. It probably just needs a little professional attention. It's a great basic book. It is not advanced. So um, let's hear some someone who loved a book. Stephanie, are you unmuted? Can you tell us about success principles? Hi there. Hello. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to. So I picked the book up, gosh, about a month ago from the library. I just saw it there. I, I knew... You know, I was familiar with Jack Canfield from the Chicken Soup series and from his involvement with The Secret in that book. And so I, I picked it up. The title is something like Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And then as I scanned through um, the table of contents, I saw a lot of things that I truly believe uh, are helpful to achieving goals in life, like a LOA, you know, um, affirmations setting goals, and so if I could summarize this book, for me, it's it's been a life-changing book. I almost don't even know where to start. I think there's so many good nuggets, but um, it's almost 600 pages long, <laughs> so yeah. it took me, it took a couple of times of me pushing through to finish it, because um, I knew it would be beneficial. Um, it also spurred me, you know, to action after I read it, taking it slowly, because there's a lot of good things in there, and a lot of good um things you can like work workshops you can take you can take away they have um oh gosh I'm stumbling here but on their website they have tons of resources that you can go to and print off papers to work through things to help you define your purpose or your vision that sort of thing um but if i could summarize it in like one sentence i would take a lot of the books that I've, I've, pre I've read before this book are represented in different principles throughout. Mm -hmm. So things from The Secret, The Four Agreements, you know, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, a lot of personal development books, um, they'll take, like, the main thing from each one and, and make it a principle. So uh, the only other thing I'd like to share about the book is that apparently Jack Canfield, and I wasn't aware of this, after he graduated 
from graduate school had worked with W. Clement Stone um, and so started teaching his system of success principles. And I believe he has a book that this one is essentially based off of, but it's his, mm. it's Stone's success. I think it's called The Success System That Never Fails. Mm. Um, and that's the program that Canfield grew up teaching to other people, used it in his own life, and then he and I think it's Janet Switzer uh, worked together on this book. And the version I read was the 15th, or the 10th anniversary edition uh, released last year, and it's just it's massive. So it, it has the original principles that were that were released 10 years ago, but then it's tons of real life examples, and then an additional section on you know surviving in the digital age, if you will. So. You know, you're right, Stephanie, about how this this book strikes me as something that. Um, you know how there are those books that you just don't power through, but you take your time with because there's so much there. In fact, you don't even have to read them in order. You can just open it up, turn and flip to a random page and find some inspiration there. There's, there's this book is packed with so many empowering ideas that it doesn't even require one, you know, straight read through. You can take your time with it, and you could even read it in any order and get a lot of value from it. I just I pulled my copy off the shelf, which has been up there for so long. These pages are yellow, but uh, I I have a lot of pages dog-eared here. The one is the poker chip theory of self-esteem and success. Uh, he says the reason he makes a, such a big deal about acknowledging your past success is because of its impact on your self-esteem. And he says he suggests imagining your self-esteem is like a stack of poker chips, and then imagine we're playing a game of poker. You have 10 chips and I have 200. Who do you think is going to play more conservatively in this game of poker? Yes, you are. If you lose two bets of five chips, you're out of the game. I can lose five chips 40 times before I'm out of the game, so I'm going to take more risks because I can afford to take the losses. Your level of self-esteem works the same way. The more you have, the more risks you're willing to take. And, and he, talks, he quotes some research on why this is important, and his tip here is to begin um, listing your successes, and he asks if you can list 100. He says, to really convince yourself that you're a successful person, successful person who can continue to achieve great things, complete the next step of this exercise and list 100 or more of your life's successes. My experience is that most people do find coming up with the first 30 or so, then it becomes a little more difficult. To come up with 100, you're going to have to list things like learning to ride a bike, <laughs> singing a solo at church, getting your first summer job, the first time you got a hit in Little League, getting your driver's license. <laughs> you list a bunch of them. Um, yeah, the goal is simply to get to 100. Yeah, this guy, he brings some good work to the world. That's, a, it's a, that's one of the ones that um, I, don't, I don't exactly go open this regularly, but it'll, I'll always have a copy on my shelf. Thanks, Stephanie, for sharing some inspiration from Jack Canfield's Success Principles. Absolutely. Thank you. Who else has been reading something that they've been enjoying or have something to share from? I'm still, this is Nancy. I'm still reading the same books I was reading last month <laughs> and the month before, but I counted well, them. I have like six books on <laughs> I, and I was just wondering, Nancy, you you get a lot, you get inspiration and information in a wide variety of ways. It's not just books. 
you also listen to interviews, you also like tune into videos and stuff that um, you've, you regularly share in the forums, but is there anything lately that's been lighting you up? I stayed up um, late last night finishing House of Cards, <laughs> the new season. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, you're right. I do. I watch videos. I listen to audios. And it's really moment-by-moment um, -moment guidance. So I might be reading, you know, like, for instance, I'm reading the book Soul Currency, uh, Investing Your Inner Wealth for Fulfillment and Abundance. It has a lot of exercises. So I stop and do the exercises, and then something in the exercise will – trigger an interest or curiosity and that will send me off to go listen to somebody or research somebody that, you know, I hadn't researched before. So I'm I'm constantly gathering data and information and processing it and making the connections. I'm very much a connector. You know, I, I connect the dots between, uh, oh, I read this about health yesterday and then I read this about deliberate creation at night, and then this morning I read something else about, you know, um, relationships, and I see the connection between all three. Mm -hmm. So I'm, and I'm, and I'm often sharing that in the, in the forums, and a lot of times when I share stuff in the forums, I say, well, I stumbled on this. Well, I stumbled on it because I was following my curiosity, and somehow came across something completely unrelated to what I was initially researching, but it felt important or interesting enough to share. So, um, so yeah. Um, I, I'm definitely reading uh, constantly and watching videos and listening to things, but um, nothing new to share at this particular point. Um, I'm, I am reading Kinslow's System, which I already kind of know about it. Um, this is the pure, the guy who did pure awareness, you know, the quantum entrainment. Mm -hmm. Well, he re, uh, he rebranded. I think he got involved with Hay House. Hay House started publishing him. And they basically had him rebrand quantum entrainment to the Kinslow system. Okay. And then he put out a book that's basically a compilation of several other books that he wrote separately under the quantum entrainment label. But now it's all together under one you know, in one book, and it's called The Kinslow System, Your Path to Proven Success, Health, Love, and Life. And I find that um, when I read his, uh, you know, he's got examples for using quantum entrainment for everything from um, sleeping and insomnia to uh, overeating to overcoming fears, um, dealing with injuries, dealing with people, um, how to be more creative, um, and I find that when I read through some of these things, it puts me in an altered state of consciousness. It's pretty powerful. And uh, I'm really glad I have the book. But it's not necessarily a book that you sit down and read cover to cover. Mm -hmm. It's more like one you go to when there's a spe specific thing that catches your attention and you want to... Well, that's, yeah. how, that's how I'm reading... Uh, Neville and Catherine Ponder, Nancy, which mm -hmm. is why I have I still haven't finished either one of those, but um, but boy, yeah, they just yeah, huge inspiration there. I know what you mean about altered state. And Catherine Ponder, my, that took me ten months to read that book. 
I understand why. But you know what? It's so juicy, and when you get done, you want to turn back to the first page and start all over. Or at least I did. I, I just couldn't wait to go back to the first page and start all over again. You know. Hmm. Yeah. And I've got Neville right. Neville's right here, along with everything else. The other books that I'm reading. So yeah. I have in my Amazon cart the one that Brian mentioned. Is it John Kehoe? K e h o e. However you pronounce. Mm-hmm. His name, I've got him there, but I also have Start With Why in my list right here, and my stack here at home, so that's probably up next. Uh, Is Start With Why by Cynic, S-I-N-E-K, Cynic? Yeah. Yeah, and um, Goddesses Never Age and Bloodline of the Gods. Uh So I probably, I've got a couple more i got to read first before I place another book order. I say that, and yet (laughs) Saturday's going to roll around. And uh, we're going to be like, oh, i got to go run an errand at PetSmart. And the bookstore is right across the street. So I often end up there when I have no business buying any more books. But I'm curious with the people who are dialed in on the call, how many are drawn to um, self-help books and how many are drawn to uh, uh, fiction or... I personally have both at all times. I read fiction at night and um, – Nonfiction during the daytime. Oh, interesting. Me too. That's what I do. Although mm-hmm. I haven't always been a big fiction reader. Me either. But I mm-hmm. have just in the past year, I've decided that um, when I read fiction, it it you know it doesn't affect my brain the same way as when I'm reading something that could possibly be connected to what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is why so I'm not going to really get all inspired by something and then have to, you know, start working on something right away. So fiction's better for at night. So we just finished um, Ready Player One, which was great, and The Girl on the Train. Ooh. That was really good. Yeah. You read that too, Ming? I did. I couldn't put it down. Yeah, we couldn't put it down either. (laughs) That's interesting. See, and I usually uh, avoid the fiction during, just before bedtime because I don't want to have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what kind of fiction you're reading. <laughs> no, my mother was an advocate of mysteries and murder mysteries and things like that. And I have to admit, when I was when I was a little kid and was really uh, just starting to get into reading, we had this program at school where the teachers had different levels and they had books for each level. And I had I, literally halfway through the school year, I had read every single book um, in their program. There was nothing left for me to read. So they sent me to the library and I ended up getting a Stephen King novel. Um, and I brought that book home Friday afternoon and I could not put it down. And I literally... Oh, read it for the weekend. I literally read it for the weekend, but it was all about murder and mayhem. (laughs) 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 Which is not a really good thing for, you know, like an (laughs) 11-year-old. So, so yeah, I am, but, but, yeah, um, yeah, I see along with little women. (laughs) Well, when I was a kid, yeah, Nancy Drew when I was a kid, oh my gosh. I think I still have my Nancy Drew books in my hope chest. 
Uh, and the Hardy Boys, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of the Bobsy Twins. There's a whole bunch oh yeah, that's of my right. son. <laughs> and yeah, they were my, good. Yeah, and the Harry Potter books, especially the beginning ones, are actually quite fun. Really, really fun. The first two are more fun than Mayhem, but yeah. <laughs> I read a lot of fantasy fiction, science fantasy. Um, and, um, yeah, and whatever's popular, like the, what was the girl on the train? What else? Oh, good Lord, Gone Girl. I never should have read that. I, that was not, that was, that was nightmare material. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, is there's got to be contrast in the story because that's what creates the story arc, right? You, you have a heroine or a hero and they, they come across a difficulty and it creates a contrast and then they have to overcome it and in overcoming it, that's what makes the story, right? I have to be really picky what that contrast is or I'm mm-hmm. so empathetic and so um, emotional and so I, I get so drawn into the story like I'm living it right along with the characters in the book that I have to be careful what I, you know, what I engage. So that's why I was curious about everybody else. And I'm, I'm interested in um, uh, sci-fi and the um, fantasy uh, because those can be really fun in their own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you who got me started there. It was Kim Falconer. That wasn't yeah, exactly. a genre that I really invested any time in uh but boy the way the way she writes it just really 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 good it's it's hard for me to find anything i like as much as what kim wrote but Jeanette, i'm so glad you brought that up because i want to read the spell of rosette but amazon says it's not available yeah i i should send Even you my on copy Kindle. i know I, sh- I should send you my copy um yeah she it's something to do with international rights or something okay. and there there is a way like there is a site she shared before there is a way to get a copy but um she's yeah she does some cool stuff i love the one her first one was just fabulous so and our first one was three books right it was a yeah her first trilogy yeah i it was there was astrology there was law of attraction there was some quantum science there was cats there was a place where everyone went to go learn magical stuff. I mean, it was it was a really, really, really cool book. See, now we should find out that that link for for getting the and put put through a bulk order. Yeah, <laughs> GBU members who all want to get a you know a copy. Oh, Ming, the book that you're that you got your hands on now. Oh, I can't wait to hear what you think about it. It sounds like it's a little dry. <laughs> Tell Which us one? The name of it. The, the one that one I just, just posted in chat from your yoga. Oh, teacher. my yoga teacher just emailed me and it came. I thought it was funny because we're talking about books, and she said this is something you might be interested in: meditations on intention and being. So I, I don't know. Who's the author? Um, Rolf Gates. Let us know if you get a copy. I'm gonna. I love my yoga teacher. <laughs> I just yeah, heard. Uh, I just heard John Cabot Zing Zen, who's a meditation teacher, talking uh, on Sunday about uh, some of his books and his writings. 
and he was talking about mindfulness and uh Actually, Jeanette, you would have liked some of what he said because he was saying, you know, people get all tied up in what it means to meditate. But the truth is, sitting together with a friend talking about a subject that really engages you, you're both meditating. Mm, wow. And he also said, as long as you're breathing, there's more that is right about you than is wrong about you. So he was That's really cool. saying that people often get worried, am I doing this right? And is there something you know, wrong with me? I can't figure out how to meditate. It's like, you know, let, let go, relax, just be present. Right on. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Anyone else got any book recommendations? Any other things, videos, movies? Oh, I still haven't been to see Eddie the Eagle yet. Uh, but I talked with Melanie said she really enjoyed Zootopia. She said she laughed out loud. She went to a movie by herself on Saturday and she laughed out loud. <laughs> and Zootopia is that the one that's uh, is it animated? Animated for kids? Yeah. I asked her if there were a bunch of kids in the theater. She's like, there were some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love animation and I particularly love claymation. You know, like um, the the motion stop motion. Uh, clay figure figures. Uh, oh my gosh, I love those. And that might be the creative part of me that just thinks they're hilarious. Is that like with the way? Is that like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Little is that? Yes, and Chicken Run, and um, uh, and there's a whole series that um, the people who created Chicken Run had done before that. Ardman Animations had done. Um, uh, one about a guy and his dog, and the dog is way smarter than the guy, and the dog is like constantly um, saving the life of <laughs> of the human. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a British series. Oh, it's Wallace and Gromit. And oh, yes, Gromit yeah, are yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so that is funny. I saw that. You're I saw right. that. Yeah, where, you know, it's like Wallace thinks he's coming up with great ideas and Gromit is right there to know exactly what's going to go wrong, exactly when, and Gromit already has a plan in place to, you know, rescue Wallace. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I love the stop-motion um, stop animation. It's, a, it's painstakingly difficult to do, it is, mm. you know. But... um it takes a lot of time to put one of those movies together, but I really enjoy watching them. And well, I enjoyed this conversation today, you guys. Um, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and sharing your thoughts. Thanks, Jeanette. Yeah, I wish I could say what our next ones are. I Even though I said what I've got on my stack here, I just don't think I haven't. Maybe start with why might make the review list. But I wouldn't be surprised if something else showed up. So if you guys find anything, I love it when you guys make book recommendations to me. You you never steered me wrong. So thanks to every person who told me I absolutely had to read Big Magic. You were right. <laughs> it was fabulous. And, you know, Jeanette, the LOA crowd or the GVU crowd is not the same as, you know, the rest of the world crowd. Like, I know you said yeah. normally you don't take crowd recommendations. But, <laughs> but you know, this is a cool crowd. It's true. You're right about that. And on right, Monday, you... on Monday we have a call with um, with Ming, right? Friday. 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 This Friday, Friday afternoon. 
Yes. Okay, awesome. And then um, Tuesday, we Amina is, is our call with Amina. I think we have Monday... I don't think there's anything going on on Monday. If there yeah, is, Monday, Monday, um, Monday, Barbara's doing a yoga laughter call. Oh, oh gotcha, gotcha. Okay, thank she you. She rescheduled it. Yay, we got Kim on the recording. Yay. <laughs> 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 All right, well, we'll see you guys on Friday for those of you who can make it, and um, have a fabulous rest of the week in the meantime. Okay, Bye, thank you. Bye, Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.